Hello, everybody. Welcome to this episode of What's Next. My name is Tiffany Bova. I am your host, and I have the wonderful honor and pleasure of welcoming Steve Van Cohen to the show today. He is a global leadership consultant, executive coach, and author of Connectable, How Leaders Can Move Teams from Isolated to All In, which came out in March of 2022, so it's still a little new. Steve has been dubbed the Leadership Whisperer. He spent more than a decade working alongside leading organizations like Home Depot, Bank of America, CAT, Blackstone, and Salesforce. Improving workers' well-being, reducing employee isolation, and boosting team belonging. Welcome, Steve, to the show. Yeah, my pleasure to be here. Super excited. All right, we are going to dig right in. Always start the show with something I call bullish and bearish. Okay. Bullish, you're for it. Bearish, you're against it. Hold on, are you ready? I'm a little little nervous, but yes, I'm ready. All right. Artificial intelligence recruiting. Bullish or bearish? I am, if I have to only choose one, I am bearish only because I don't think machines can get the diagnosis of the character of a person as accurate as two people actually having an exchange. So if I had to pick, that's what I would pick. However, I think AI is a really incredible tool to get through the first couple of rounds of identifying a potential candidate. But then I I do believe two people need to talk in order to make sure that this person really does align with what we need them to align with. All right. Fair enough. The next one, bullish or bearish? Four-day work week. I am 100% bullish. Yeah, me too. Big time. Yeah, I mean, my whole world has been around wellness and inclusion and belonging. And if you're burned out and you're overworking, that is a big problem. So yes, very bullish. All right. And the third one, space hotels. Oh, uh, in one of the podcasts, I got asked if I could go to space, would I? And I said, without a doubt. Yes. Uh, I am bullish on space hotels. As soon as Elon sends me an invitation to head up into the atmosphere, I'm all for it. Let's do it. A free invitation, of course. Please. I don't have the like $400,000 readily available to go up on my own dime. All right. Well, thank you for playing with us. That was a lot of fun. Look, I want to dig right in because I think that we've had a crazy couple of years. And I think personally, I feel like it People have been calling it the great resignation. I actually call it the great reflection. Mm, I think we have really um, reflected inward personally, professionally, you know, family, friends, spiritually, whatever you want to say. And I think a lot of it was rooted on this kind of emptiness that maybe some of us were feeling going into the pandemic that we might not have been aware of. And, and I think your book, um, is really about how do we make sure we stay connected. So maybe you can just ground us in when you started thinking about it, how, you know, you sort of have worked your way through the last couple of years and, and launching kind of the tail end of what we've been experiencing, because I think it'll set some great context for the conversation. Yeah. The idea came in 2019 when my business partner and co-author Ryan was writing his book on Gen Z. So Gen Z is the youngest generation in the workforce. They're typically 25-year-olds and younger. And when he was researching that book, he came across a statistic that Gen Z was the loneliest generation on the planet. And 77% of Gen Zers in 2019 said that they feel regularly lonely. 
which is crazy because Gen Z is lonelier than baby boomers who are living alone in retirement communities. So that set us off on this really interesting exploration into why that is. And because we do a lot of work with clients on the future of work and understanding emerging generations, we wanted to put some thought to what they can do to help this generation feel less lonely. Fast forward to 2020, pandemic is you know starting to shut everything down and there's all this confusion and misunderstanding on what, what we should be doing. And we went to a few clients and said, do you want to talk about some of this loneliness research? And client after client after client said, absolutely. This is so important. This is something that we're all experiencing and we don't really have any context to it. Can you help? And that's what I've been focused on for the past two years is creating uh, you know, some structure and some understanding around what loneliness is at work and why it's a big deal. And then what leaders at all levels can do to help mitigate it. And we'll start from a foundational standpoint by just explaining that loneliness isn't the absence of people. It's the absence of connection. I can still be surrounded by lots of people and feel totally lonely, or I can be a remote worker who feels hyper-connected. We need more than the mere presence of others in order to feel like we're connected to them. And loneliness is essentially the gap that exists between the desired connections I want and the connections I currently have. So when we think about how that shows up at work, and you used a great word, you said you think people feel empty. And I agree, you know, the pandemic created a huge void and a lot of our communication back and forth tended to be more transactional versus connective. And it left a lot of people feeling very lonely. And I think that the other thing that I found really exciting and inspiring is the fact that people were more, more willing to actually say those words out loud, like to coworkers or friends or family, like, I just feel disconnected. Like I used the word disconnected. That, that was sort of my, my word because I've worked from home for, I don't know, 15 years, it's been a really long time, a little longer than that, but I was always on the road traveling. And so that was my human connection time. And then when I came home, it was kind of almost a decompression, think, get some work done. Like I need the quiet, but I got that, my gas tank got full you know, in those connection moments that I would have in certain points of my week. And then when those connection moments that I'd relied so heavily on were not there anymore, I had to find a way to connect similarly across a Zoom or a, or a Google Hangouts or a FaceTime call, whatever it was. So I couldn't really put my thumb on what it was, but then I started hearing other people kind of describing the same thing. Is that what you found as well? Yeah. I mean, there's this great line that says awareness is curative and a pain shared is a pain halved. And when people have started to talk about their feelings of loneliness, I've been talking about this for two years straight, right? This has been my entire world. And every time I bring up the topic of loneliness in the workplace, every single person leans in. They're like, Ooh, hold on a second. This is interesting. Like I've not really discussed this before, but I felt lonely. I know people who feel lonely. It's a universal human condition and people want to unpack it. And it's been really fun exploring it with individuals. And in the book, we actually shared a story about a guy named Jerome who works for a multi-billion dollar company. They're having their quarterly town hall. They're going around within their team and they're asking people, how are you doing? And on the call, he kind of just like took a sigh and he said, I feel really lonely. And as soon as he said that, Everybody on the Zoom call started nodding their head and one of the participants started to cry and she messaged in and she said, 
you just pinpointed exactly how I've been feeling, but I couldn't put my finger on it and that's it. And they created a whole discussion around what they can do and how to create an opportunity for people to feel more connected. And, you know, it, it started to, you know, kind of dig past the rock and find the gem of really what's going on. And when that happens, we can be more prescriptive in what we do. And that's a really powerful thing. Well, I think the underlying requirement for that example you just gave is a tremendous amount of psychological safety. Big time. I've had, I've had Amy Edmondson on my podcast a number of times. Um, and, you know, just that feeling like if I said something like that, I'm in a safe space. Someone's not going to mock me, laugh at me, humiliate me. They're going to, they're going to maybe, right, message me and say, oh, that's exactly how I was feeling, right? And so let me, let me pull that thread through. So let's say you're feeling that way. What is the right opportunity or moment for you to potentially share? I'm talking work, right? At, at a work environment, like just blurt it out on a team Zoom call, like, <laughs> hey, I'm feeling really lonely or, you know, sending an email to your boss or to a colleague. Like what's the first step in someone, to your point, first of all, acknowledging and identifying that that's actually what you're feeling. Yeah. Now being able to verbalize it to somebody. Before I give you my response, I'll tell you that the word is still totally charged and it still has a very negative connotation to it. The book I wrote is entirely about lessening loneliness and our publisher McGraw-Hill would not let us use the word lonely in the title or subtitle of the book, which is why it's called Connectable, How Leaders Can Move Teams from Isolated to All-In. There's nothing anywhere on there about loneliness. And because it's such a stigmatized and charged word, there is almost this embarrassment that people feel when they are, are you know, experiencing loneliness. And unfortunately, that has yet to go away. And, you know, we say that loneliness isn't a black eye. It's a birthmark. It's something all of us experience. It's just like hunger. Hunger is our biological cue that we need to eat something. Feeling sleepy is our biological cue that we need to rest. Feeling lonely is just a biological reminder that we need to forge a connection, right? It's not shameful at all, but it's been perceived that way for so many years. So if someone's feeling lonely, I don't necessarily recommend that you just go find someone and like let it all out on the table and just say, I'm so lonely. I don't know what to do. This is terrible. Uh, we do need to be a bit you know, mindful of how we're feeling. So what we like to say is the goal is always to strive to be relatable versus vulnerable vulnerability, while has its place and is important, when I can strive to be really relatable and I could use my relatability to forge a connection, usually somebody else will lean into that. And you can say, ah, oh, man, I just feel really disconnected. I'm not spending as much quality time with the people that I want to be around. Or you know what? We used to do all these great exercises together as a team. We've been too busy to do that. And I'm feeling like we're not as close as we used to be. You can still express what you're feeling through a relatability lens without necessarily telling somebody outright that you're totally lonely and need a connection. Well, the flip side of that same coin would be, I'm a manager of a small team. I'm a leader of a small team, a big team, a whole company. I'm an entrepreneur, like, you know, whatever. And you have to now, I believe, I'd love your opinion on this. I believe you have to now make sure that you've got your spidey senses up. Oh yeah. When somebody you sense that something's off with them. They're maybe not as responsive on email, they're not as chatty on team calls. 
They're not as engaged. They're not laughing. They're, you know, whatever, like they're always the life of the party and all of a sudden they've gone quiet. They're there, but they're quiet and you notice it. And I think that that is where managers and leaders have an opportunity to lean into their leadership style of uncovering this kind of connection. Fair? Oh my goodness. Yeah. The very first part of our four-step process is called looking at loneliness. And part of looking at loneliness is looking at your team. So there's a great line by the photographer Ansel Adams. And Ansel says, photos are usually looked at, seldom looked into. And when I think about a leader who's overseeing a team, usually I'm paying enough attention to the team, but am I really looking into them? And am I picking up on those subtle tells that they're giving off to indicate that something might be going on? And what's really fascinating about loneliness is, you know, separate from hunger, like if I feel hungry, I just go get something to eat. I can solve my own problem. No big deal. For whatever reason, when people feel lonely, they retreat inward. So they're less likely to reach out to somebody because they don't want to feel rejected. They already feel like people around them, you know, aren't accepting of them. So they distance themselves and you can pick up on some of that, right? If people aren't contributing as much in team meetings, if cameras are off when they're usually on, if somebody seems to not talk about anything other than work, there's 10 in the book that we talk about as identifiers. But a leader, yeah, they have to identify and pull somebody out of loneliness or else people will just continue to retreat inward and become more and more distance, which from a team dynamic standpoint, it's problematic because if we have team members retreating and removing themselves and going inward, that really hinders our ability to feel psychologically safe and have strong connections and understanding. And there's a whole spiral of effects that come from that. So what's the recommendation? You know, I think that there's so much about leadership. There's not a book, read it. And now you know how to do it, right? Yeah. And I would argue even MBAs don't teach you how to be a leader. They don't. Right. So how do you even approach that conversation? Yeah. Right. We we like to use the example um, of Movember, right? So Movember is one of the most popular charities around. And what do people do? They grow mustaches. And what does that mustache symbolize? It symbolizes prostate cancer. And they're not oftentimes directly talking about prostate cancer, but Movember gives you this sort of like Trojan horse of awareness and some understanding and support for a topic without actually talking about the dangers of prostate cancer explicitly. Work gives you a lot of opportunities to do just that, where you can address the problem without necessarily calling it outright. And in the book, we talk about what's called narrowing the focus. And there are three things you can do from a strategic standpoint that lessen loneliness without you ever having to have a conversation like, hey, Tiffany, you're lonely, right? Do you want to talk about how lonely you are? Like, that's a pretty stressful conversation for most of us to have. So, the first thing that leaders can do is they can make sure to provide a lot of clear direction because oftentimes it's lonesome when we're wandering. And if we don't know what we're doing, if we're unsure of how we're performing, if we feel lost, that's a very lonely feeling. So giving really clear direction is a good one. The second is identifying the beneficiaries of the labor. Because what happens is when I'm feeling lonely and disconnected, it's oftentimes because I don't feel contributory to the tribe or the group. So when a leader can say, hey, Tiffany, I need your help with this. You're so good at that. Can you please help me with X, Y, Z? 
if you can make somebody feel significant, valued, important, and needed, that will quickly lessen loneliness without ever having to discuss how they're feeling about you know their personal relationships. And then the last, which is really interesting, is to leverage learning. Learning starves loneliness because when your brain is enraptured and learning something new, I don't have time to feel lonely. And when I'm learning, typically that's collaborative. It's social. I share typically what I learn with others. And it creates all of these different touch points that can come to life just through that experience of learning. So those would be the three things that leaders can start to do without necessarily having some very uncomfortable conversations. Yeah, I feel like though, you know, from a leader perspective, a manager perspective, that that's a, that's a lot, you know? So I'm a manager and I'm looking at you, okay, are you lonely? <laughs> are you depressed? Are you anxious? Are you engaged? Are you disengaged? Are you like, that's a lot of things for me to, so the example you just gave, like to reach out and go, you know, hey, Tiffany, I know you're really good at X, Y, Z, come do this because I feel like maybe she's lonely. And so I'm going to try this, you know, is that what it is? Is it mental health? Is it stress? Is it anxiety? Like that's a lot of pressure for a manager to run the business sure. and also be spending such a, and I, I think it's the right thing, but there has to, I'm guessing there has to be a balance because the time spent on running the business and creating an environment where your team is engaged, connected, successful, productive, like that's, that's equally important. But I think leaders sometimes over pivot to the job, yep. right? Versus the people. Well, let's go through some numbers because we say in the book that addressing this is not a soft topic. It's a dire topic. And there's a lot of data that backs that statement up. So when people come to work feeling lonely or disconnected, they're seven times more likely to be disengaged. They're five times more likely to miss work due to stress or illness, and they're twice as often to think about quitting their job. Feeling connected to a team has a direct correlation to performance, morale, engagement, and retention. So when leaders are in this position of having to balance essentially like 100 spinning plates at any given time, and you got to determine which spinning plate to keep up and which to let fall to the floor... Feelings and emotional responses and connections and team dynamics, a lot of the soft topic, which I'll put in air quotes, just is, is what we let you know crash and break. However, without having a really connected team, it is impossible to do deep, meaningful work. When I'm feeling lonely, the part of my brain that lights up is the same part of my brain that lights up when I'm physically hit. So if I punch you, Tiffany, and your brain starts to go off to say, oh my goodness, fight or flight, I'm a high threat, dangerous situation, that's the part of the brain that's going off when I'm feeling excluded, when I'm feeling lonely, when I'm feeling isolated, when I'm feeling disconnected. So you cannot have a totally tuned in workforce who's ready to show up and delight customers and clients and who's going to you know, have these great relationships with coworkers if they're under a high stress fight or flight brain response. And that's what, hap that's what happens. 72% of the global working population right now today feels lonely on a monthly basis. 55% say they feel lonely on a weekly basis. And as we've been polling thousands of people at major companies all around the world, it is very, very clear that people are coming to work not as the best versions of themselves because of this problem. So while it's not necessarily a leader's primary responsibility to lessen loneliness, that's not in a job description, if they aren't, then they are negatively impacting the entire performance of the team because the team can't do the work they need to if they're feeling that way. 
So if a leader, let's say, um, is listening to this and they're like, wow, I never thought of that. Or I know exactly who on my team that I couldn't put my finger on what to call it right now. I have a better understanding of what that is. What would be the first recommendation? Like I'm going to lean into this, right? I'm not going to jump in on Monday morning and go, okay, I'm going to completely change everything we do. Yeah. That's equally challenging. Yeah. The really cool thing about how to lessen loneliness is it doesn't require a total overhaul. <laughs> like we're not going to say we need to change all of these systems and go through a management change process and we got to redo our culture. Uh, loneliness can be lessened in as little as 40 seconds. So they call them restorative conversations. So when two people can have a restorative exchange in 40 seconds, it allows somebody to feel seen. What happens is for me to make you feel less lonely, I have to demonstrate what are called pro-social behaviors. So pro-social behaviors are things like empathy. I can prove to you that I understand where you're coming from. Interest. I can prove to you that I really care about whatever it is you're thinking and feeling. Support. I'm able to really help you and show you that I have your back. So there's all of these components that are considered pro-social behaviors that can be displayed in as little as 40 seconds. So if I'm a leader and I think you, Tiffany, are feeling really lonely and you're demonstrating some of the signs, I would do my best to integrate some of these pro-social behaviors um, into the work day so that you can feel seen and I can prove to you that I got your back and I'm here to help. And uh, whatever you're going through, there's a resource and I'm going to help you find those resources. And this isn't like a three-hour therapy session that you have to have with each employee. These are really quick little things that just prove to the person you care about them. And they know you care about them because you're demonstrating these pro-social behaviors. So that's what I would say to the leaders who want to do something is demonstrate some of those and you'll be amazed at how quickly they positively respond. Now I'm an individual contributor and I feel like someone on my team might be feeling it. Same thing? Same thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're all human, right? So if me and you are colleagues and I recognize, hey, you're off, something's going on, uh, I can go out of my way just to check in and to acknowledge the fact that what's going on. I notice you're a little bit different than, you know, you're used to being, uh, talk to me, like what's happening, what's going on with you. And if you can ask a question that really demonstrates that you are curious and care, and then you really listen, um, that person oftentimes will, will open up or you can ask for advice. Like I talked about, that's one of the quickest ways to get people to feel more important. Tiffany, like, Hey, I got this problem. I don't know what I should be doing. Like, do you have any advice for me? When someone else feels needed, again, that's one of those strategies that pulls people back into this, this fold of, okay, yeah, like I'm wanted, I'm desired, I'm cared for. Um, in the book, we don't have a ton of time to go through every strategy, but there are chapters upon chapters of very tactical things that people at all levels can start to do in order to fully see the people around them. You know, in essence, we say that loneliness is being seen through, belonging is being seen as. And if you make people feel fully seen, then that is the quickest way to get them to not feel so lonely. Well, you know, you've been so kind, Stephen, stepping us through a lot of what's been in the book. For those of you listening, if you missed the intro, you've heard it. I said it too fast. The name of the book is Connectable, How Leaders Can Move Teams from Isolated to All In. Um, I'm going to pivot a little bit as we kind of come to the end of this. Uh, When you sit with teams, executives, companies, 
and you start having these conversations, do you often hear with, with some new research I have, have out, I, I often hear this. So I'd love to hear if you hear it, number one, but number two, how you kind of overcome it is this conversation of, okay, yeah, all sounds great. I have a hundred things on the list that we have to do. I'll get to it at some point. Yeah. Or I don't know what the return on that work time effort would be. And you, you tossed out a bunch of stats, right? A little bit ago, right? They're more likely to call in sick, the fatigue, they want to quit. Like there is all that human capital cost, if you will. Is that where you start on this conversation with them? When, when they start to give pushback? Everything is always very numbers driven. And in the book, uh, there are probably 40 to 50 pages that is all data that we uncovered that support why this is important. Yeah, when you're talking to a C-suite or any kind of a senior leader, you have to make the business case for why this supersedes whatever else is on their to-do list. And the great resignation is a really great opportunity because everybody understands that people are leaving. And why are they leaving? Well, they're leaving because no one really cares about them at work. They don't have close relationships. They don't feel tied to the company culture. They feel like if they go somewhere else, their skills are going to be better used because hopefully a leader can really get to know how to leverage them in the right way. Everything we do, we do because of the way we feel. Unless I can go get a way better paying job, the research shows that people typically leave because there's a lack of appreciation, they have a conflict with their boss or their supervisor, and they don't have a clear progression for where they are now and where they want to be. And leaders can directly impact all of those things. So if you want to keep people and if you want a high-performing team, you talk about psychological safety, tons of data on that. BetterUp came out with this great study around the importance of belonging and the direct impact that that has to the bottom line. Gallup has done lots of research on employee well-being and burnout and what that does to long-term sustainability of business outcomes. So that's where I always start because, again, you know, this is not a nice to have. This isn't something we should just do because it feels good. If you want to have high-performing teams, this is a mandatory requirement. No offense or buts. Yeah. And, and I, I'm just, as I said at the beginning of this, I'm super excited and inspired to hear the kinds of conversations I can say over the course of my career until about two and a half years ago, I rarely had with executives. Number one, number two, or you'd hear them talking about on a earnings call or on a, you know, a interview with Jim Cramer or in a, you know, article or writing books about, you know, the heart of business and right. (laughs) Like really doing these things that is used to be an outlier. Right. You know, it used to be an outlier. And and now you see those CEOs who are really tuned in um, to the human side of things doing a really good job. And and I was with some executives uh, yesterday, actually, and this is what we were sitting at lunch and, and one of them asked me, he goes, without getting into politics, and I go, oh, that's never a good start, <laughs> <laughs> without getting into politics. Um, what do you think about, you know, this particular executive and how he handled this situation? And if if I say, if I say the state or I say what you're going to immediately know who it is. So I'm just going to, I'm just going to leave it at that. And, and my, and my answer was, I think he made the wrong decision the first time, which meant there was almost no coming back. Yeah. Now I'm not saying that, gosh, if he'd done what he did the second time, right? Like a couple of weeks later after, you know, complete chaos had broken loose. If he had done that the first time, if it would have been completely better, I mean, 
who knows? Because we'll, we'll never know. But I think it highlighted this disconnection from the kind of the new way of being a leader in the 21st century, being much more empathetic, connected, without losing your, you know, eye on the, you know, the prize, especially if you're publicly traded. But look, Edelman came out and said that the number one stakeholder is the employee over the customer first time in a decade. And so if your employee is your number one stakeholder and you're only paying attention to the stakeholder, if you're publicly traded or the stakeholder that's sort of your retirement account, you're missing the opportunity. Yeah. And and there is a fine line. You cannot just bend to every whim of every employee based on their needs because that's irresponsible because we do need to be productive, but you cannot flip on the other side and just mandate that everyone has to do this without taking into consideration their thoughts, feelings, cares, desires, et cetera. You have to straddle that line if you want to have a world-class organization. The companies that are on your list of being the top companies based on your research, I would imagine they do a very good job of both, right? We care about people tremendously and we have very strong activities to show that we care and we're doing things based on the responses. And we make sure stuff gets done and we are really tactical and we have execution, we have discipline and we have a strong culture that drives performance. Those two things have to be there. It can't be one or the other or else you're going to have a big disconnect. Well, Steve, this has just been such an amazing conversation. Um, I hope all of you listening enjoyed it. Uh, please go out and grab a copy uh, of his new book um, with his co-author Ryan, Connectable. How can people keep in touch with your work and you and, and what are you up to next? Yeah, the mothership is at lesslonely.com. So if you're interested in anything that I've started to discuss, go to lesslonely.com. You could also find me on LinkedIn pretty easily by searching Stephen Van Cohen. Happy to uh, touch base with any of the listeners who want to learn more. So feel free to reach out. All right. Well, thank you so much, Steve, for joining us today on this episode of What's Next. We will see all of you next time. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Tiffany.